Hey folks, uh, this is just a little kind of a response to uh, uh, Benjamin Lear, actually, or not a response, but kind of some thoughts, uh, because he was uh, asking me to go into a little bit more uh, into the, the question that pseudo-historical or pseudo-scientific um, perceptions might in some case be right story from a traditional knowledge perspective. And this is not something that I've thought a lot about. And it, well, no, it's not something that I have a definite position about. It's something that I'm thinking about and sort of trying to figure out because it's not, it's two different knowledge paradigms, uh, scholarly knowledge and traditional knowledge. I think it's a little bit like if you have a, for instance, a historical perspective on the emergence of the runes, you talk about how Germanic peoples interacted with the Roman Empire in the early uh, uh, first millennia and how um, different uh, Italic and perhaps other alphabets uh, seem to have been appropriated by Germanic peoples and changed shape and so on. And the uh, first Futhark that emerged seemed to actually look quite a lot like Latin letters and other letters from the uh, Mediterranean context. And this is one kind of story about the emergence of the runes. Another kind of story would be, well, Odin hung himself on the tree, sank down into the underworld and re recovered the runes. And that way, one of them is a traditional knowledge story and another one is a historical knowledge uh, story, right? So the thing is, how do we how do we take <laughs> the jump from one to the other and what and 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 if we start saying well okay odin was a, a historical person who was perhaps identical with attila and in fact he was the one who who sat down somewhere at a table and invented the runic alphabet that would be pseudo history right it, you know <laughs> and uh, so so it, it it's it's um it, i think it's it's actually a difficult question um yeah so benjamin writes here Mem uh, members of majority culture wrapped in wrong stories in, since birth um da, 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 da. yeah uh benjamin um then mentions some stories some examples of what you could say wrong story or pseudoscience that become toxic and become abused for uh, for power, um, uh, oppression, uh, purposes of oppression, and so on. And uh, I think that's a good point. However, I also think that these examples that Benjamin takes out, for instance, the, um, the heritage not hate ideology about antebellum US South, this ideology that there was this golden age in the South, and, and it wasn't about hate at all, it was about some kind of nobility uh, thing, this nostalgic idea that is supposed to legitimize the uh, 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 racism and so on. Um, uh, uh, that is, of course, an example of a pseudo-history that is used for something something toxic. However, there is a lot of what you could call history that angles out into these kind of valorizations that are much less obvious to us because perhaps they're a little bit closer to perhaps stuff we associate ourselves with um, or that we haven't properly distanced ourselves from yet. A lot of the discourse that you see about Vikings, particularly in Denmark, Denmark is particularly bad in this uh, sense, is 
a self-narrative that uh, creates an image of self by projecting to a very distant past with imagery that has historically served to produce uh, problematic power structures and self-images, I would say. And that is almost inherent to the concept of Vikings at all. It's almost like, so, but it just, we haven't, Distant ourselves, distanced ourselves so much from that as we have from, from, uh, for instance, the heritage not hate ideology. At least if you're a, a left winger, you can also take examples that would be leftist based ideologies or thoughts about the past that, perhaps from a historical position, are not all that strong, but which leftists are sort of leaning quite a lot on. For instance, when we talk about Vikings, there are a lot of um, ideas that perhaps the Vikings had a super level of gender equality. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure, I, this is not something I know a lot about, but I'm not sure how historical that actually is, how historically accurate. And some of the people I know who are a little bit stronger in, in the strict historical sense like me, they say it's, it's crap. Uh, uh, like uh, Matthias Norvig, I remember him saying that, that the idea that women had a, a much better position in, in pre-Christian society than in, in post-Christian society, it doesn't actually hold water as a, as a historic uh, position. And that's a, a perception that a lot of, um, for instance, contemporary heathens uh, would probably, uh, you know, uh, lean towards. So, so pseudo-histories are not, they're a thing, but they're not exclusively responsible for uh, cruelty. They could also be responsible for trying to create a mythic or background for, say, uh, queer inclusivity uh, in, in our day by uh, projecting, perhaps overexposing, perhaps uh, uh, even perhaps even to some extent constructing queerness in a specific past period that perhaps what not what was not exactly as uh, as prominent as 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 we would love to think. Um, and uh, and that I think sometimes that's uh, that's a case also in in indigenous scholarship. There's a little bit of a tendency to be like, okay, yeah. So before colonization, every single human community in the world was like complete uh, LGBTQIA plus empowerment queertopia. Probably that's not quite the case. You know what what you're probably gonna find is different gender constructions than gender constructions that would perhaps not be so normative from our perspective, but uh, but I, I but but you probably wouldn't find our notions of, for instance, queer empowerment. And I think it's important that we just focus on ourselves in those um, and, and just say, okay, we want we want to have queer empowerment. We don't need Vikings to have wanted it. <laughs> um, yeah. But then on the other hand, there's something about that such projections, they are in fact, perhaps in a sense, mythic. That if the mythic aspect of a story is that respect with which that story creates relating, then you can have a piece of completely straight up history, this and that happened during the uh, independence struggle for the United States. That's some 
a, a sequence of events, historic events. And then there is a, a mythic aspect of this, which is what does that do to how contemporary Americans understand themselves in relation to the world? That is a relational aspect. So, and in that sense, that historic narrative becomes mythic. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not finished understanding how these things com work together com uh, completely and how to distinguish them from each other. Because uh, as, I, as I was saying in that other video, I suspect that sometimes there could be aspects of communication that, 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 that could be wrong from one perspective and right for, for another, from another perspective. Like, um, if you look at a piece of information, uh, then its correctness or its truthfulness from a historic perspective could perhaps be seen as one dimension. It can be either very wrong or more and more valid and, and analytically credible until it's true. <laughs> and it probably never reaches truth, right? But, but that, there's kind of one string, one dimension of, of uh, validity. But what if there, there is, and there's a very, very specific way of looking at one piece of information, but what if there are other applications of that piece of information? Like, how does it create relation? How does that piece of in, uh, information of the American struggle for independence enable North Americans to produce a coherence, a feeling that we are together about being North Americans? You know, what does that piece of information do there? Like say the fact that that uh, there was a um, I'm just shooting this from the top of my head there was a, a massacre uh, of British soldiers on people in Boston uh, at some early point in that struggle. So the first man, man who got killed some some dude white dude. The second man who got killed was a black dude. That's, I think that's a historical fact. Well, it's a historical fact that can be used by contemporary North Americans to create relation to their space. Black people were part of the first defining moments in the struggle for independence and gave their blood in that very moment. Then this piece of historical information becomes a, a piece of uh, mythic information that creates relate, relation in our time. And um, you see, this is a different dimension. It's a relational uh, system that grows out of it. There can also be, I don't know, poetic aspects of it perhaps, or uh, different kinds of, of aspects of that one piece of information. So perhaps uh, a piece of information is not just on one line of truth and, and falsehood, but perhaps there's like a kind of three-dimensional space around it where it can have different nature from different perspectives that are related to the objective of what that uh, piece of information can do in that situation. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of an open thought and open thinking. And right now I'm just rambling it out and not being super coherent, like I'm usually trying to be in those videos. Uh, so uh, one case that I'm, I'm saying about sometimes is a Norwegian guy called Havskjold, something like that. Now he created <clears throat> what he calls a Viking martial art, uh, which is called Stab, and he uses stakes, 
uh, and uh, <laughs> he has this narrative going on where that sort of stick fighting thing was in his family since the Viking Age, and there uh, and it's built on the principles of the sixteen runes and of the Viking Age, and the whole thing is kind of mixed in also with calendar and everything. Now, there's no question from a historical perspective that historically. It, it has a very low level level of of validity to say that that he got it a martial art based on the Viking Age runes inside your family for a thousand years. You didn't, mate. And why in the why the flip would it be the Viking Age runes? The runes continued existing in in other parts of Scandinavia for a long time and changed into different forms. Why wouldn't it be the you know, the Dale Carlian runes or the medieval runes who have different shapes? Anyway, so so from a historical perspective, you can take something like that and 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 uh, say no. <laughs> But then there's something else. I'm, my good friend uh, Benjamin Weber, he, he practices this, this uh, martial art and he's a historian of religion, he knows this. And, but he, there's also, it's funny when I'm talking to him, there's also something that he's a little bit like, yeah, but you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think I've spoken to, to him a lot about it, like playing with this, this particular example because he really loves stuff, you know, the, this. Um, way of thinking this martial art, and uh, and, and I, I'm a little bit provoked by the, by this kind of blatant super like pseudo history as I perceive it. Um, but uh, but but he uh, he really uh, he really likes it, and he I think he almost buys it a little bit. He, he doesn't really articulates it and so on, and I have a really high respect for for him and his his understanding, and it kind of makes me feel the story that he's telling about himself. This half Scottish girl, dude, is it is there is there some level to which it it's it's is valid? That that story does that create relation in a way that that that's good, you know. <laughs> I used to train Afro-Brazilian capoeira and uh, martial arts uh, had these crazy stories about themselves. Uh, and uh, I, rem <laughs> I remember, unfortunately, I didn't meet him myself, but I remember I had got the story uh, referred um, in, in oral transmission. And that was the old mestre um, Leopold Gina, uh, who used to, to tell the story about himself. And he had a little bit of a what do you say, a glimpse in the eye, a little bit of a <laughs> humoristic touch when he was telling it, that yeah, he was uh, in fact uh, 300 years old and, and, <clears throat> and he had used to be a, a plantation slave in a big uh, slave back uh, in, the, in, in the slavery days. And, and then uh, because he was such a strong and powerful man, you know, the plantation owners, they decided they wanted to make him a breeding slave, so he, he would... Uh, be able to uh, produce, reproduce himself a lot. So they they had these breeding houses where he could like impregnate all the all the women, and and so he was there doing that. And then uh, you know all, also the white ladies in the plantation houses they ended up hearing that this was a man who really uh, you know knew what he was doing. So uh, they started coming to him, and well, that's how mr leopold gina actually became the the ancestor of the entire uh, brazilian <laughs> mixed race brazil brazilians are very proud of being this mixed uh, people 
And, uh, and yeah, and he was also the lover of uh, Princess Isabel, who was in fact the emancipator of the, of the uh, historically uh, sometimes credited with, with the, eman the legal emancipation of the Brazilian slaves. And, and in fact, he was also a part of the illustrious uh, Quilombo dos Palmares, a maroon state of liberated slaves. <laughs> and he was like, he, so, and he taught uh, Zumbi dos Palmares, the legendary hero. He taught him capoeira back in the day. It's a little bit like saying you, you taught Robin Hood how to shoot a bow, you know? And, and uh, so he has this little story, story about himself, which, um, yeah, and, 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 uh, Historically, is not true, and this and this particular story also has the aspect of being humoristic, and it has the aspect of being carnivalesque. He's hypersexualizing himself. He's like, he's spawning the whole <laughs> Brazilian race, you know, and and uh, all these kind of things. So as and and I think these kind of um, there are, yeah. It's just another example of my main point here that perhaps there are different aspects to the validity of specific stories. Oh, 